We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, my guy, Justin Thomas, talking about a Nets win over the Timberwolves in overtime, 124-123. Justin, how are we feeling? Uh, I'm feeling sweaty. Sweated through my shirt. Uh, my heart is still pounding, but a win is a win. Uh, thank God we got out of there. Yeah, I did not feel good going into overtime, just given like the Nets just squeezed by to, you know, tied in regulation. And then in that overtime period it just felt like the offense was so stagnant luckily minnesota stagnant on their end settled for some bad shots we're going to jump with that and plenty more make sure you check the buzz on austrian platforms also give us a follow on instagram at brooklyn buzz pod but i guess justin we'll start with that final play of regulation nets up three 1.5 seconds on the clock nas reed somehow gets open and knocks down the open three what was your reaction my first reaction was uh, defeat because my parlay was cooked after that point. I had the under and overtime all but solidified that I was going to lose. Uh, my second thought was, of course, it's Naj Reed, the guy that Nets fans literally had in the trade machine up until the trade deadline and that were pleading uh, for Sean Marks to bring to Brooklyn. So, of course, he hits the game tying three. My third one was, guys, what the hell? A three is the only thing that can kill you in that situation. Why if any? Why are you even underneath the three-point line to begin with? There should be nobody under there. But, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. It's just a miscommunication at the top. Uh, Royce just kind of caught flat-footed. Um, and before he knew it, it was too late. Nas gets a perfect look, straight on three, swish. We're going to overtime. Yeah, obviously, uh, similar thoughts. Obviously, I didn't have the same parlay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, looking at the the play again, and it's just clearly a miscommunication between DFS and Royce. I would probably put this more on Royce, given in these circumstances, you're almost always switching. And as you alluded to, there's no point in taking a step backwards. You know, you're not worried about giving up a layup. That's cool. You know, hit a two, you lose by one. It's not really making a difference. The Nets didn't even really give them themselves a chance to foul in this situation because Nas Reed got so open. So they dodged a bullet, obviously up three. Luckily, goes to OT and they're able to pull away there. But just late game decisions and, you know, basketball IQ and just being mentally locked in was definitely in question for the Nets down the stretch of this game. You know, obviously they still got the W, but late in that fourth quarter, 
You know, they weren't making great plays. You know, as they mentioned on the broadcast, after uh, Minnesota won the challenge on the Royce O'Neal layup in transition, Minnesota ended up going on an 8-0 run and really making this a game. Because at that point when Royce looked like he was going to go to the free throw line, the Nets were about to be up double digits, and it felt like they were going to walk away with this one. Yeah, and I thought just that kind of whole maybe maybe minute and a half, two-minute sequence was, was really weird and disheveled for the Nets because uh, I believe – Cam Johnson, maybe a few plays later, also had another. I know Royce had another opportunity in transition. Yep. Um, he missed a layup. Then I think a possession after that, Cam Johnson also had a layup uh, that I, I thought he he got fouled on. But it was just a case of the Nets were going really, really fast, and I thought it was a perfect opportunity with about three and a half minutes left uh, to just slow the game down. You're, you're up multiple possessions. You're in no need uh, to rush. Minnesota doesn't have any type of cohesion on the offensive end. Uh, so the only thing that can kill you is is yourself. And, you know, the Nets kind of did it to themselves in terms of letting the uh, the Timberwolves hang in there, uh, keep momentum. So it's, it was just one of those things where, you know, you see this from a team that doesn't have as much chemistry uh, as the Nets. Obviously, you know, you have a bunch of new guys here. Uh, but, you know, credit them for not faltering down the stretch, not, you know, hanging their heads, especially when the game went into overtime uh, and coming out with the win. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it wasn't pretty. It felt like, I don't want to say a lucky win, but a couple bounces definitely benefited them late in the game, especially Jaden McDaniels. I think, uh, you know, when he had the ball kind of tipped out of bounds, that was a big play for the Nets. Um, But obviously they did enough to get it done. They made more plays in Minnesota. And I thought this was a good measuring stick for the Nets because I think Minnesota is around the same talent level as Brooklyn at this point. And they were able to kind of put together enough in this game to walk away with a win. And hopefully they can build off it for the rest of the road trip, because this was a game they needed to have, not only because it's one of the easier games on the road trip, but after resting everybody in Milwaukee last night, it kind of put pressure on the team to win this game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that, you know, coming into this game, if the Nets were to drop it, it would have just been a bad look overall. I mean, yeah, one, every game is important at this point, and I'm not sure, um, what the result of that Cavs heat game was. I, I believe the, the Cavs won. I'm not sure, but no, the heat, he, oh, they on. came back. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, like I said, like every game is important and every win is important. And it was just kind of weird that Vaughn kind of tanked the game the previous night. Um, especially because everything is every, everything, everyone is so important. Um, tonight, same thing. They came out with a lack of energy, which I thought was an indictment on, everybody involved because yeah. you can't rest half your team and then come out as slow and lackadaisical as they did. And it took them up until really about maybe the last few minutes of uh, the second quarter to really get into rhythm. Uh, I credit them for their huge third quarter outscored the uh, Timberwolves, I believe 37 to 20. Yep. Uh, they really, really locked in on the defensive end, but fourth quarter, the offensive woes came back only 17 points. You know, thank goodness that the Timberwolves weren't shooting the lights out like they were in the first half. Yeah, there was enough guys in Minnesota the Nets could bait into taking threes that probably Minnesota didn't want them taking, really benefited them in this game. But like you said, offensively in that fourth quarter, it was a combination of guys trying to do too much in transition, like you mentioned, Royce, Cam Johnson, and then offensively just really dragging out offensive possessions and looking for isos instead of just looking at other avenues to score and getting guys involved. I thought another thing they did in this game uh, that wasn't really – intelligent was not attacking McDaniels you know after he had five fouls in this game the Nets never really went back at him and he's a guy that defended Mikel Bridges really well and you take him out of the game the Timberwolves are down one defender and also a really lanky guy that was having an impact just in other areas with his athleticism and 
just the Nets sometimes just don't take the freebies. And that's what I think is really frustrating, especially for a team that has its obviously limitations with this roster. Yeah, I mean, you talk about freebies. One of the biggest freebies in the game, I thought, was uh, the play where Rudy Gobert injured, t- twists his ankle yeah. trying to go for the offensive rebound. Nets go out in transition. And Seth Curry pulls a 35-footer from the logo. And mind you, Rudy Gobert had just switched on to him because he's just the only man back in transition. And it's one of those situations where, you know, Seth, like you have a guy, you, first of all, a healthy Rudy Gobert on two healthy ankles is somebody you should blow past easily. Rudy Gobert on one ankle, you should be, t- at the least, you should be taking it right at his chest, going straight to the basket. I just didn't understand that play. You know, the it allowed Minnesota to call a timeout. Uh, you basically yep. gave up a possession, right? That could have been an easy two points, or maybe you drive the ball into the paint more, somebody's in the corner, kick it out for a three. But these are just some of the things, like you, like you, Lucci, you weren't taking what Minnesota was giving you. Um you know, I, I thought the Nets could have done a better job, especially down the stretch of putting Rudy Gobert in a pick and roll. I know they tried. And, you know, I credit Mike Conley uh, for fighting over a lot of those screens. I know I know yeah. he kind of baited uh, Claxton into a few moving screens down the stretch of that game. But, you know what, I, we've seen the other teams hunt our guys. You know, best example was that Clippers game when Kawhi was just hunting Joe Harris. Uh, I thought the Nets could have done a better job of hunting Rudy Gobert. I mean, every time Spence got a switch onto him, he was he was blowing right by him. I I thought Mikhail. I I thought the 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 look. I think towards the end of regulation that Mikhail had on on Rudy was great. You know, it's just the shot didn't go through. But these are the situations that you want the Nets to be put in, and sometimes they just don't take the freebie. Yeah, the Seth play was infuriating. Uh, just really didn't make sense. And I think there's just some plays for Seth Curry that are more than frustrating because he's supposed to be quote-unquote the backup point guard but he'll dribble the ball down the floor take one pick and then try to take a contested shot like he's his brother and he's just not that (laughs) he's just not that guy so I think that's been very frustrating with him Uh, I thought the Mikel look was a good look I felt like he probably had Rudy in a better spot at the three-point line I think it's yes yes I thought he was I honestly thought he was just gonna pull the three yeah, I think he's just not fully comfortable with that shot yet. He's taken, you know, one a game for the last week or two. Probably next season, that's a shot he's going to take because Rudy was giving him a ton of space. It was a spot Mikel really likes to operate from, and he didn't have to necessarily speed up. He looks very comfortable on those pull-up threes when he's kind of like almost sleepwalking you with the dribble. And that was a situation where I thought he could have could have hit that shot, but also. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I feel like it's really tough to ask a guy to hit the game-winning shot after not touching the ball for a couple possessions. And that's been an issue for Mikel Bridges. Uh, Obviously, that's a lot on the coaches and Spencer Dinwiddie and the rest of his teammates. But also, I think Mikel could probably be a little bit more aggressive in calling for the ball and getting involved sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, Mikel had, I believe, 20 at the half. I mean, he ended with 34. And, you know, and when you look at it, it's like, oh, he had 34. It was a great game for him. But you know, it was one of those situations where I don't think Mikhail got to his 26th point until I think midway through the fourth quarter and it was on free throws. So he really yeah. wasn't that involved in the offense for a lot of that third quarter, which, you know what, credit the Nets. They were able to, you know, sustain a, a 17 point advantage in that quarter without arguably their best player, you know, really involved in the offensive action. But still, these are some of the things where it's like as the, as, as the team goes down the final stretch of the season and, and looks to the playoffs. Uh, you're going to have to know these things. Get your best player involved offensively. Uh, he's shooting, again, amazing efficiently from the field, 13 of 24. Uh, it's just, you know, and I, yes, Spencer did phenomenal, I thought, in, in picking up the slack. Uh, but, you know, these are just some of the things you can't expect. Like you said, you can't expect a guy who hasn't really touched the ball to just, hey, come save us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for real. And I think also with Mikel, and I've mentioned this before in the show, is it's not even that every possession has to end with him taking a shot, but just let him touch the ball on the offensive possession to put some pressure on the defense and force them to react. We're already seeing how teams are playing him differently than they have, you know, in the past. You know, he got McDaniels face guarding him in the fourth quarter for a lot of different things. I think there's just other other avenues and variations the Nets can use offensively to generate some looks for themselves. Because like I mentioned, they're not this team full of tough shot makers. They have some guys that can do that, but I think they need to find a way to have a steadier offense. In Minnesota, surprisingly to some is a top 10 team in defensive rating. So credit them. Rudy Gobert, obviously an elite rim protector. And we saw him reject an array of net, different nets tonight. Yeah. I mean, 124 points for the nets tonight. Uh, I think we all know that often we, our biggest fear with this team is, is offense and where that offense is going to come from. And you know what? I, I thought the ball movement was spectacular, especially in that second half. I think a big key is definitely what type of pressure Spencer Dinwiddie and Mikhail Bridges can put yep. on the defense. And I think they're the, because their games are so different, it, it allows for an array of different things for the Nets offense. Dinwiddie, when he's getting downhill, right, that's the all-star caliber player that the Nets fans kind of fell in love with back in his first stint with Brooklyn. Um, because when he gets downhill, he's sucking in the defense and it opens up a lot of corner threes or wing threes like we saw tonight. With Mikhail, you know, he, he's really good at getting to his spot, right? He's not getting sped up. He gets to like that little elbow jumper, you know, that little sometimes that little fadeaway turnaround. Uh, so it's a, it's a nice change of pace, but when 
either of them aren't really getting that, or especially when Spencer's not going downhill, the offense kind of slogs, which we saw a lot of in the first half. Uh, but, you know, when, when they're doing their thing, it opens up the door for other role players, such as a Royce O'Neal, such as a Cam Johnson, uh, such as a Dorian Finney-Smith, right, to really make an yeah. impact and help winning. Yeah, and also credit the Nets three-point shooting tonight, 16 of 34, 47% from three. You're going to win a lot of games if you shoot that well from three. And you mentioned Mikel, four of eight, Spencer, three of seven, Royce, three of five, Seth, two of four, Cam Johnson, two of four, Dorian Finney-Smith, two of five. So guys stepped up in that area, and that was pretty big to getting this win, especially with the paint being locked up. Like you said, it was a lot of penetration and kickout. And that led to some good looks for some good three-point shooters. I guess just finishing up on Mikel, as you mentioned, had 34 points, 13 and 24 from the field, four of eight from three, four, six from the free throw line, six rebounds, one assist, and did have four turnovers. Like you mentioned, I think we saw a little bit more mix of some of the fadeaway and turnaround stuff in the paint. And I think his improvement in his footwork and his ability to kind of play off his different moves is going to be the next building block for him. Yeah, and he's got a, a surprisingly soft touch on his jump shots. Like a lot yeah. of the times, they you know, they like two, three bounces off the rim and they're falling in. Um, you know, fr- friendly rims for Mikhail, I guess. But yeah, he's it's just it's it's been very impressive to see the growth of his game. Um, you know, just from his time as soon as he's become a net, right? And I know people have kind of seen it, you know, in in, in his role, ex- extended role in Phoenix when Booker was out. But just seeing him morph and morph and grow into this type of players is is. is very, it, it's nice, you know, yeah. it, it, it's nice. And, you you know, maybe he cut down on the turnovers. He had a few, you know, kind of boneheaded ones, little, little, little lackadaisical play in the first half. But, you know, for the most part, he really locks in. Uh, what you see is what you get on offense. He's not a guy that's going to think he's a superhero and take shots outside of his comfort zone. He's not just going to pull heat checks whenever he feels like it. Uh, so I, I think you're, you're getting exactly what you want from, Mikhail. Um, it's funny because in the first half, he kind of had like a little Carmelo Anthony stat line going. I think he had like 18 points, zero rebounds, zero assist, <laughs> you know, but hey, it, you know, full stat line in the final box score. Yeah, whatever works. I mean, the scoring is fine. and We know he's a guy that's going to have an impact defensively. And I think another thing that I liked in this game, I saw him kind of use his hesitation in the mid range to grab a scoop layup. And I think that's going to be another thing for him. It's just like I mentioned, kind of building off the other parts of his game and allowing him to have easier avenues to score. And I thought defensively he turned up in the second half. And obviously in that fourth quarter, the offense, the defensive possession prior to Nas Reed hitting the three, he forced Anthony Edwards into a really tough shot. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, and that's what you get with Mikhail on defense. You know, it's one of those things where you knew, you knew you were getting an elite defender coming over from Phoenix, but the offensive game has definitely been the icing on the cake. Uh, and which is, but I think it kind of goes to the fact that when you look at the Nets, all uh, the Nets defense in that first half in particular, giving up uh, almost 70 points, it's like, Hey, like you got a guy like Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, like these are elite defenders, Nick Claxton. Why is it, such a problem to stop guys some of these you know like why is it a problem to stop the other team from scoring and then you look at the third quarter where they only allow 20 points and you're like this is what we should be watching and expecting every single quarter i I don't understand what the problem is but you know what credit mikhail credit the rest of the guys for really locking in and securing this win yeah even 26 in the fourth is suitable you know what i mean giving up 33 and 35 in the first and second isn't and like you said there's a ton of elite talent i think 
Weirdly enough, the Nets were too worried about Rudy Gobert in the first half. You know, they were too worried about giving him switches like he's a guy that's going to punish them for 40 points. You know, if Rudy wants to get 40, sure. The rest of the Timberwolves probably aren't going to have a good game. And I thought when they started switching and then putting him in the post, you know, we saw Gobert have a tribal against uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. We saw him have a turnover against Royce O'Neal. You know, he's a he's not a guy that you really have to worry about a ton. You know, he's going to get his numbers, but at the end of the day, the offense running through Rudy Gobert in the post is not a reason that's going to lead to a loss. Yeah. You know, what's really funny when I was watching like Spencer, all those possessions that Spencer was on Rudy, uh, especially in that second half, it kind of reminded me of that uh, Nets Pacers game uh, back during the James Harden era, where I believe it was Kyrie's first game yep. back and they had Harden switch onto, I believe miles Turner for the, like almost the entire fourth quarter. Uh, which I thought was interesting because it's like, all right, why would you have like a guard on clearly a guy that's got at least five, six inches on him? But you know what? I credit uh, I credit Spence. He hung in there, took a few elbows uh, from, I mean, hey, Gobert and the rest of the Timberwolves were giving out elbows like it was candy yeah. uh, <laughs> today. Uh, but, you know, I credit Spence for, you know, holding his own. And like like you said, I if you're going to allow, if, if, if they just want to work the ball through Gobert, you know, let them. You know, I'd, I'd rather that I'd, Gobert is not the most offensively gifted player out there. He gets most of his points, as we saw tonight, lob dunks, put back dunks uh, off the pick and roll. Uh, so put him in the post, you know, bring the help defense and make him be a facilitator out of the post because he's not he's not he's not terrible, but he's not the best. And as you saw today, the Nets can force him to make turnovers. And Minnesota plays enough guys that aren't plus three-point shooters. You know, Kyle Anderson, not a great three-point shooter. McDaniels is still developing in that area. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker couldn't hit anything tonight. There's just like a lot of guys that I think are hesitant from three, and that allowed the Nets to, you know, help a little bit more defensively in that second half. But uh, agreed that it's just going to be an area that they need to adjust. And I think they made the adjustment in at halftime to run to more switching and different variations of defense in the second half. But I think that just needs to happen quicker, especially when you're giving up two really bad defensive quarters. When you go against a team like the Denver Nuggets coming up, they might drop 40 on your head if you play defense like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, not looking... Not looking forward to the Denver Nuggets game. Luckily, uh, Denver is not playing too well themselves. Lost to San Antonio tonight, but... Ooh, that's a bad loss. Yes, yeah. and I think they lost. They blew their previous game as well, but enough about the Nuggets. Moving over to Spencer Dinwiddie. Finished with 29 points, 11 of 24 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, 4 of 6 from the free throw line, 3 rebounds, 11 assists, 1 steal, and only 1 turnover. And the 1 turnover is super impressive for the amount of usage he had in this game. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Spence had a, I would say he had a phenomenal second half. Yeah. Uh, first half, wasn't too thrilled with a lot of this. I thought he was getting into that kind of... Foul baiting. Yeah, the foul baiting. It's like, dog, like, if, if they don't call the whistle up the second time, you're not getting the call. And you throwing your hands up and, and yelling at them is not going to help. If anything, it's kind of caused it to be worse, not only for you, but for the rest of your team. Um but he bounced back very, very well in the second half. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, he kind of picked up the slack when Mikhail, you know, really wasn't involved in the offense. Him getting downhill, like I said, is is the important factor in the success of the Nets on offense. And he got downhill a lot in this game. He even had a nice poster dunk over Anthony Edwards, which I mean, it, it's really impressive. The freeze frame that the Nets uh, Twitter posted uh, makes it look even better. But yeah, I mean, great, great 
great game from Spence. One of his best since he's come back into a Nets uniform. Um, 11 assists as well, so he's distributing the ball. Had a big-time kick-out pass to Royce O'Neal on that wing for a big three. Was he the one that got uh, Dorian Finney-Smith the three-point shot in the corner? I would believe so. Uh, if it wasn't him, it was probably generated based off of his penetration. You know, yeah. just because, like you said, he was getting downhill so well in this game and really just was create just the engine for the Nets offense. And obviously we could talk about how that's a positive and a negative at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, Dinwiddie giveth, Dinwiddie taketh away. And luckily Dinwiddie giveth tonight. Um, you know, Spencer Winwiddie, it's always nice when you can you hang a, hang a W. Uh, but you know, this is the type of Spence that the Nets need. And can they get it for, you know, 36, 38, 40 minutes for, or however many minutes he plays in a game? You know, time will tell, but this is the type of spends that the Nets need if they want to be successful and make a push in the playoffs. Yeah, and obviously it's a large ask because he's not, you know, an all-NBA player. He's a good player and has shown maybe being a fringe all-star at times. And I think it's kind of one of the holes of the roster, clearly, that they don't have another guy that can initiate and really create for not only themselves, but their teammates. And that's why I think at times it feels like Spencer's probably over dribbling and he definitely has a habit of doing that, but it's also just like a lot on him to do everything. And this is a quote from Jacques Vaughn after the game on Spencer Dinwiddie for a young team. A lot of that goes on the back of Spencer and his ability to get the guys in the right spots for us to take advantage of matchups in which we did down the stretch. Then he created shots for himself and others. And it's really because he's the only guy in the roster that can really do that right now. Yeah, and uh, I wonder why. Well, at least he's the only guy on the roster that uh, gets playing time. But, yeah. you know, that's a And I would say with Cam, <laughs> Cam could definitely create for himself. I'm not sure how much he can create for others. And I could say the same thing about Mikel is Mikel can definitely create for himself. He's developing, creating for others. But it just it makes you so reliant on Spencer Dinwiddie. And as much as he can be super frustrating, I don't know if there's a, a better option with this roster right now. Yeah, I mean, you, it's it's clearly night and day when Spence goes to the bench, uh, and then they bring in, you know. Yeah, Seth, you got to watch Seth Curry play backup point guard, which he can't. Yeah, and and that, that's what I don't get, especially because we saw Edmund Sumner this year play very very well in that point guard role. He does a good. Me personally, I think he does a good job of setting his guys up as well as Spence. No, but he definitely drives with drive to the paint with a purpose. He looks for his guys. Um, he gives you, you know, rim pressure, which he is, does. And then and, he's one of two guys that probably do it on the roster. Maybe three, th two or three other guys might do it, but just not the same level that Spencer and even Sumner can do it. Yeah. So when you're looking at the team and you have Seth Curry trying to run an offense and you're wondering, oh, wow, why have the Nets not scored a field goal in, oh, four and a half minutes, five minutes? Oh, well, maybe it's because we don't have anybody to get rim pressure, right? Nobody's creating, nobody's doing anything like that. You're asking a shooting guard who has been a shooting guard his entire life yeah, to facilitate and make plays, and that's just not who he is. So, yes, it, it like you said, it def definitely puts a lot of strain on Spencer to not only be an offensive weapon for the Nets and 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 put up you know close to twenty points a game, but also be the guy that hey you're gonna you're gonna be the lead distributor and we're gonna rely on you to really run the offense and do all these other things, put guys in position, and hey we're gonna need you to score as well. Yeah, I think that's the icing on the cake is the asking him to score. You know, running the offense, putting guys in spots, being a traditional point guard is not easy, but it's a simpler task than also being a guy that needs to score pretty much 25 for this team or, you know, score a lot of clutch buckets. And obviously it's a really good opportunity for Spencer to showcase some skill, but it also makes it 
easy to game plan for the Nets. You have an idea of what they're trying to do. And I think that's why it's so important for them to come up with new ideas and different avenues to attack defenses, especially with the players they have. And I think a lot of that's going to be more off-ball movement, more screens, and just different ways to put pressure on the defense that they're not doing right now. Yeah, you don't have the luxury of a Kevin Durant, a Kyrie Irving uh, to really just bail your offense out. You know, Mikhail has shown he can he can he has great shot making ability, but it's not at the level that, you know, we've become used to seeing over the past three to four years. So it's going to take a complete team effort on offense. Guys moving around ball screens, you know, passing the ball, making the extra pass. You know, even even tonight, I thought sometimes Spencer was a little bit too unselfish. Yeah. There was a play um, in that fourth quarter where I thought that he could have had an opportunity to maybe try to dunk on to, somebody. I, th- I thought that too when he when he I think he got the ball at the on the, on the left wing, drove in. I thought he was just going to pull a floater or just a, a nice you know pull a fifteen footer, but he ended up passing. I think the Nets ended up missing the shot. But yeah, no, to to exactly what you said, man. Yeah, we'll see how it kind of plays out and how it works against some of the better teams on the schedule coming up. I'm really intrigued and seeing how Jacques Vaughn can adjust and pivot. I think he pivoted in this game defensively. Can he do that offensively? That's going to be a big question. But I guess running through the other guys before we get out of here, Nick Claxton, uh, 11 points, 5 of 6 in the field, 1 of 2 from the free throw line, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 blocks, 3 turnovers, and did foul out of this one. It felt like the two early fouls in this game really took Clax out of his defensive game because he had to play almost timid. Yes, he had three blocks in that first quarter. Uh, But those two early fouls, definitely you could see he wasn't as aggressive at contesting shots at the rim. And you know, it's a difficult task. Rudy Gobert, as many jokes as we make about him on Twitter and things like that, that's that's, that's a big guy, right? Like, you know, and credit Clax for getting that, you know, alley-oop dunk over him. But that's a big guy. He's physical. Uh... You know, he's going to he's going to cause problems out there. You know, even Najri, that's a big body as well. Like you said, they got they got a lot of length on that Timberwolves team. Um, but I thought Clax did a pretty good job in like kind of like the middle of the game, you know, kind of finding himself. He had some nice. Uh, yeah, he, he had some nice drives to the basket. Uh, yeah. Some nice rim pressure there. But those three fouls in the fourth quarter, I mean, that was just those are killer. Two- yeah, two, two, two of moving the three screens. Were, yeah, and even the defensive foul was him being, I think, a little just block hunting in an extent, just because I don't think he needed to reach over and try to get that rejection. We understand why, but if you just committed a bad offensive foul, the, the literal previous possession, you have to be a little bit more under control. And that was probably, you know, one of the times we saw him just lack discipline this season where he's been really good at staying under control this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, with the the moving screen, one of them, I think it was definitely on him. Uh, the other one, you know, I think it might just be getting more reps with Spence. I thought Spence yep. went a little bit too early, which caused yep. Claxton to not be set on that screen. Um, but again, Nick, you can't put yourself in situations like that, especially if you already had a, a moving screen call on you. You got five fouls. You got to be smart. You got to be set. You got you to gotta be 100% sure you're set, you know, when, Especially with the way Conley was moving around the screens yes. too. Yeah, absolutely. He's 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 pesky. Like that's why he's been in the league for so long. He knows how to navigate screens. He's a he's a great you know perimeter defender for his size. Uh, but you know what? A learning experience for Clax. Not you know his greatest game, but I thought he did enough to help the Nets and put them in positions up, up until he got fouled out uh, to win the game. Agreed. You know, 
good enough for clocks for them to get the win. Uh, Cam Johnson finished with 15 points, three of eight from the field, two of four from three, seven of nine from the free throw line, eight rebounds, did have three turnovers. Cam is getting beat up out there. Yeah. Uh, he left last game with a bloody nose, or was that? That was Sunday against the Hornets. He got the a Hornets, bloody yep. nose. Yep. And then tonight it looked like he got a bloody lip. He's just taking a beating out there. But credit him for getting to the free throw line, seven or nine from there, and finding a way to have a positive impact offensively. Uh, yeah, he's a tough guy. He watches a lot of hockey. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, I mean, geez, he's just been getting beat up. The bloody, the bloody lip. And then even, I think, in the second half, I think it was the fourth quarter, he, he took another elbow from Gobert. And I thought he got re-bloodied. I'm like, jeez, like he's, you got to start wearing a mask or something. Just go rip Hamilton with it and, you know, just it mask take, him. Take him that next step as a shooter, too. Maybe that's the Maybe, move. right? <laughs> you know, ask, ask Jalen Brown if he can borrow his mask for a few games. But I thought, you know, for all things considered, Cam... It's weird. He played a weird game to me because there were points where I thought he was sped up a lot. There was times where I thought he could have gotten, especially getting out in transition. Um, I know he he thrives in transition. He's he's very good out in space. But there were situations where he could have pulled it back out. Um, he turned yeah. the ball over, turned the ball over. I think twice in transition opportunities. That one uh, late with Mike Conley getting the steal was a killer, and that felt like a yes. big possession for the Timberwolves. I personally thought it was a foul. There's a lot of contact yeah, on that. It but. definitely could have been a foul call. He definitely is not getting the benefit of the doubt with the refs, but not uncommon for a young player. Uh, I think he just needs to get more comfortable being a starter and being more involved in the offense. I think sometimes, you know, his he doesn't have maybe the mental conditioning of, you know, just being locked in and engaged all the time, you know, looking to that Mike Conley rebound late in the game. He has Conley boxed out, but for some reason, Conley's still able to get the ball over him in a situation that was a crucial rebound. I wanted to throw my remote through the window because how is it that the smallest guy on the court got a rebound over Cam Johnson and Spencer Dinwiddie? And even earlier in the game, there was a possession, and I think it ended with an Anthony Edwards layup, which cut the lead, which cut, which cut the lead to three, where Mike Conley got two offensive rebounds in the same possession. Now, I'm sitting here like, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way a guy that's only about four inches taller than me got two offensive rebounds in a row. When you got guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, like length out there. I know Clax wasn't on the floor, but still. Um, but yeah, like you said, with Cam, I think just getting comfortable in that starter's role. You know, he's he's good for his, you know, two threes a game. Uh, he ended with 15 points, you know, which is – I honestly didn't even realize he had 15 points. I honestly thought, I thought he had like eight or nine. Uh, but – you know, he does he does things out there. Look at that. Eight rebounds? He was on the glass tonight, man. Yeah. Another <laughs> guy who was on the glass tonight, Royce O'Neal, 15 boards. So 15. Uh, good good stuff for Royce. Give him some credit. Uh, 12 points in this game, 3 of 11 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3, 3 of 4 from the free throw line. As I mentioned, 15 rebounds, 3 offensive, also 2 assists, 3 steals, 2 turnovers. Playing against some of his former teammates and Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley, felt like Royce O'Neal had a little bit extra edge to his game in this one. But he stepped up over the last couple of weeks for this Nets team. All right, three of eleven doesn't feel right. This I don't know. The, you know what I it was? Uh, he he missed a couple more. tips. He missed a couple tips, so that just like really. I think he missed like two thing. or three tips in the same possession. Oh yes, that one where he had like four, and then we ended up not getting it. Um, yeah. But even still, I could have sworn he had at least like four or five buckets. Because every bucket he hit was a clutch one for the Nets. I, yeah. Like, I believe he had one, a, a, a good three in the first half from the wing that kind of got us some momentum. He had the big three from the wing. 
uh, in the second half. And then I know he had a big three from the win- from the corner in the second half. Wow. Only three. But you know what? He did. A, he had a, he had a great he, he played great in that second half. In the first half, I think I tweeted it out. I thought he was getting cooked. Yeah. On defense, like they were just blowing by him. Things weren't happening for him. I'm like, yo, Royce is out here looking kind of crazy in the light. But, though, he bounced he back. He gets caught big... flat-footed a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes he gets caught in, like, over, like, closing out. He doesn't close out, like, the right way. He, like, kind of lunges. Yeah, overly aggressive for a yes. guy that doesn't have great recovery. And I think that's kind of a recipe for disaster. There was one play where Anthony Edwards is a late game bucket and Royce tried to like step up on him at the elbow and he just glided right past him. And I was just like, damn. Yeah, even um on one of the I think it was. Yes, it was the possession that uh, Anthony Edwards got the layup that cut it to three. I thought Royce could have just stepped up and taken a charge yep. in that situation, oh, yep. but he just jumped to try and contest. And obviously Anthony Edwards being such an amazing athlete, just kind of contorted his body, got the little lefty layup scoop. Um, you know, the crowds into it, everything happening like that. And I thought, Hey Royce, this is your chance to, you know, make one of those, you know, I know it's been dead for a little bit, but you know, the, the, the blue collar boys, that was, that was yeah. a chance for uh, some blue collar magic right there. No, it really was. And that play probably works on like 90% of the NBA, but the 10% of super elite athletes like Anthony Edwards, <laughs> like, no, that's not going to work. But overall, happy with Royce, especially given what he does off the bench. Doreen Finney-Smith quickly on him, 11 points, 3 of 9 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 steals, 1 block. Dorian obviously is struggling substantially offensively, but he did hit that huge 3 late in this game. Look, my Dorian Finney-Smith agenda will thrive only because he hit arguably the biggest shot in the game. So all you DFS haters, you can suck it. Um, but yes, no. He <laughs> I is, feel attacked. No. <laughs> <laughs> he is out there building mansions with his shots right now. He cannot hit the bright side of a barn. Oh, man. It's like, it's like Zach Wilson trying to find a receiver right now. He just can't do it. But look. When it matters the most, he came through, and I thought he played with amazing energy on the defensive end. He got a few steals. He's on the glass. He's fighting. He's keeping possessions alive. Like, this is the type of Dorian Finney-Smith that we want. And I think the offensive game, you know, I think at this point, whatever he gives you on offense is a plus, right? But what you're really keyed in on is what he gives you on the defensive end. And right now, I think he's doing a lot of the intangibles, kind of similar to Royce O'Neal. They don't show up in the box score. Um, but they attribute to winning basketball, just keeping balls alive, tipping passes out of bounds, um, fighting over screens, you know, being early and, and they are present on switches, on traps. Uh, these are the things that 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 DFS has done really, really well, um, you know, this game and, and for a few games. So, yeah, not 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 too much to say about him tonight, but when it mattered the most, he stepped up for the Nets. Yeah, he's doing all the other things. It's just the offense. You know, I think it mm-hmm. uh, just needs to take that step forward so he's not becoming, you know, the the team, the player that the other team is just leading wide open. But hopefully that gets closer to his career averages. Cam Thomas played about five minutes in this one. Seth Curry, we kind of mentioned, hit some shots, but was ultimately not very good in the second half of this game. Joe Harris played a little bit under eight minutes. But Justin, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah, the Seth one was curious to me only because not not for the fact of how many minutes he played, but I thought he played with really good energy and gave the Nets an offensive spark. He kind of kept the Nets in the game, you know, when the the, first half, yeah, in the the first half, you know, Timberwolves built a 12 point lead. I thought Seth Seth on offense did a good job of keeping the Nets kind of within striking distance. But then second half, Seth, I was very confused as to what he was doing out on that basketball court. He was not contributing to contributing to winning basketball. And I'm kind of glad that he was not in in most of the fourth quarter and in, in overtime. But, you know, it's it's. We're at the point now where the Nets, we're going to, we need to know what we have with this bench 
with this bench unit. And Royce has given you good minutes off the bench, like, you know, 15 rebounds. We can't expect that every single night, but he's a guy that competes. But you look at it, right? Nine-man rotation tonight. Joe Harris plays eight minutes. Cam Thomas plays five minutes. Um, a lot of heavy minutes for the starters. Mikael Bridges, 47 minutes. Spencer Dinwiddie, 45 minutes. I'm pretty Clack's only at 35, but he would have definitely gotten to 40 if he didn't foul out. Um, you know, and this is, I don't know if, about you, but is this like a concerning thing that we don't really have either reliable guys off the bench or guys that Jock Vaughn trusts? Yeah, I think it's definitely a concern is, I think uh, Vaughn also needs to test out some different things. I think Sumner and Watanabe are guys that should get some run, especially with some of these this new array of Nets players and see how they can fit given their skill set. And Nerlens Noel, I think maybe he'll get some more minutes after he practices a little bit or just gets a better understanding of the scheme. But right now, you know, those guys, three out of four of those guys probably didn't provide enough tonight. And that's going to be a bigger question when, you know, the starters aren't getting a night off you know, the night before or aren't having are you know, having a bad game and you need to go to somebody else. So it's going to definitely be something to kind of keep an eye on moving forward. Yep. Yep. But hey, I mean, I guess you can run these guys into the ground if they give if you give them the night off the day before. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it worked out that it was an overtime game. But Justin, as always, big thanks for hopping on. Big thanks, to everybody, for listening. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.